everyone. Welcome to Mining Matters, Fisher Phillips podcast about mine safety. My name's Chris Peterson. With me is Arthur Wolfson. We're partners in Fisher Phillips Workplace Safety Group. How are you doing, Arthur? Doing well, Chris. Been an interesting couple of weeks in the mine safety world and safety and health world generally. Hoping everyone's staying safe out there. And, uh, you know, we've had some developments, and that's what we want to chat a little bit about today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we planned on doing these podcasts once a month, but due to the overwhelmingly positive response we received from our first podcast, which was basically an introduction, <laughs> but, but still people uh, were excited about it. And so we thought we would drop another episode for you right before Thanksgiving that you could listen to. Um, and Arthur's absolutely right, right? Anybody in the workplace safety area has been inundated with information about OSHA ETS, I'm sure. Um, but we thought, you know, sort of lost in all this OSHA ETS vaccine or test mandates. Um, we still have an MSHA proposed rule out there, which represents basically the most significant action MSHA has taken probably within the last four years. Wouldn't you think, Arthur? I can't think of anything that came out during the last administration anyway. But um, so today we're basically going to discuss the status of MSHA's proposed rule. And this is that one requiring a safety program for surface mobile equipment. So basically requiring an operator to develop, implement, and maintain a written program for surface mobile equipment specifically. And if you're not already familiar with that proposed rule, we do have a webinar on our website that discusses the details of that rule. Arthur and I put that on, uh, what, towards the end of October, so just last month. So it's, it's, it's okay. recent. Um, and basically where we're at now is comments were due on that proposed rule by November 8th. Those comments have been submitted. And today we're going to talk about the next steps in the rulemaking process and then touch on some of the most, I don't know, common or perhaps significant comments that we've seen on that proposed rule. So Arthur, do you want to kind of outline what steps we can expect to see in terms of the rulemaking process? Sure. Thanks, Chris. And, you know, I, I got to say that um, when this proposed rule uh, came out in September, probably the, for the first little bit, I, I wasn't hearing a lot of discussion about it. Um, but as time went on, and I think people kind of got into it and, and read it and started talking within their companies, within their trade associations, and maybe even to their attorneys, um, that, uh, that, that they realize, you know, this is a potentially a big deal. And so I think the, the, the mining industry, the regulated community, the trade associations deserve a lot of credit, I think, for really stepping up. Because as Chris said, that comments were due back to the agency November 8th. And there's, there's over 40 uh, comments, so really good substantive comments that have been submitted. You can see those by going to MSHA's website and then going to rulemaking and finding your way to comments received. Um, if anybody needs help getting there, just let either Chris or I know we can direct you through the MSHA website, um, which isn't always the most user-friendly, but <laughs> be that as it may. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the next step, you know, this is what's called notice and comment rulemaking, um, which I think is an exciting part of the law. You know, it may not sound exciting, doesn't have a real exciting name or title, but <laughs> what I mean, this is where we as the regulated community get a chance to help form what the law is going to be. You know, MSHA, if they're going to come out with a new rule, they have to 
put out this proposal, which they did on September 9th, invite comments, which they did. Anybody, companies, labor, miners, um, friends of miners, trade associations, anybody can submit comments. That's what's happened. Now we're at the point what Chris is talking about, which is the uh, the agency is required by the Administrative Procedures Act to consider these comments, to go through them, respond to them in the Federal Register when they propose or when they formulate a final rule. There's, they're required to consider them and then make um, an explanation, offer an explanation um, that gives us a rational explanation between uh, the facts they considered and the decisions they made in coming out with their final rule. And they need to explain that in what's called the preamble. So we will see all of that when MSHA comes out with a final rule on this uh, proposed uh, power to haulage rule that we saw. When can we expect to see that? That's really anyone's guess, but I wouldn't expect anything for six to nine months at the earliest. It's just, no. you know, that it, the pace of this does move slowly. We should start getting an inkling, you know, <laughs> when it's about to come out um, and sort of to be on the lookout for it. But that's what will happen next is we will get a final rule from MSHA um, that considers everyone's comments. And hopefully um, if MSHA does what is required of it, addresses the comments doesn't mean they're going to agree with the comments but right. they have to at least address them so chris can you talk a little bit about you know these preambles that that address the comments that come in do you use those in your practice uh for for past rules is that is, is that an important thing that that you may rely on yeah absolutely right i mean that's a great question you know because i'm asked very frequently when i start telling folks about this rulemaking process um, you know, and notice and comment. And when you submit comments, does MSHA actually consider those or do they just basically ignore them and move forward? And so you're absolutely right. You know, MSHA addresses those in the preamble and basically says, this is the intent. This is why we're going to make the change or we're not going to make the change, you know, whatever those comments or suggested changes might be. But those preambles, um, are really a, a view into what you know could be the intent of a regulation, right? Because so many times you read a standard or a regulation, you're not sure exactly how to comply, right? What, what is this actually saying? And so one of the references that we use as attorneys is to go back into the preamble and look and see, okay, when this rule was enacted and MSHA explained why they're doing what they're doing, do they offer you know, some justification for that and then that provides a window into, you know, that particular intent. So then at that point, we're able to make an argument. Well, the intent of this regulation or standard was this. Um, so it's a very useful and I think effective. Now, you know, granted, MSHA doesn't always, um, you know, accept those arguments, but that's a, it's a very effective resource, um, you know, particularly when you're discussing, you know, the vagaries of, you know, what is MSHA compliance. So certainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, could be a, a very good resource. I use it too in my practice, and I will say that I've seen uh, safety directors, mine level and corporate level, also uh, dive into the preambles and rules when they're trying to figure out what they need to do to comply. So yeah. let's um may, maybe I, I know you've taken a look at some of the comments that were sub been submitted, and, and you know that's the important part of these comments is we want to see what 
what what may turn up in this preamble or may even modify what MSHA comes out with in the proposed rule. What were some of the things that stuck out to you, Chris, when, when you looked at what people submitted? Yeah, so looking at those comments, um, and I'll go ahead and just go on the record where I'll take credit for our webinar and, and creating awareness for folks to submit these comments, because I think they were all pretty much well done, right? And we have over 40 of these comments, many submitted by associations that have multiple, multiple members. Right. Um, so right. I think we did a great job, Arthur, in creating awareness to submit comments. So I'll start off by taking credit <laughs> for that. But um, I think there's probably, in my mind, there's probably like two, um, two comments that have raised the most significant issues one is the designation of the responsible person. And the second one is, you know, dealing with contractors, right? That proposed rule is essentially silent on <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with a major part of, you know, any mining operation when contractors who would presumably have their own powered haulage safety program come on site and how do you integrate or mesh the two programs, right? It's, is that contractor then going to be expected to follow the operator's uh, written safety program or what, right? So the rule is silent on that. So I think that's significant. And then obviously, yeah, the responsible person, right? Um, I thought the comments were very effective in outlining the fact that the mine acts a strict liability statute, right? So the mine operator is going to have to comply with this rule regardless. So you you know, designating a responsible person in my mind is, is rather superfluous, right? It's not necessary because, you know, as that rule, your proposed rule anyway, carefully outlines, you know, these programs are supposed to be tailored to a mining operation. And yet, you know, the expectation somehow disappears when they say, oh, and you have to designate a responsible person. Well, how about, you know, you let the mine operator figure out how best to not only develop, but implement and maintain that particular program, right? So I think those two comments are going to uh, probably spurn some, you know, some good, well, hopefully some good discussion, any sort of preamble that we get and potential changes and clarification. Um, probably a couple of other comments, Arthur, what are your thoughts on, you know, maybe specifically defining surface mobile equipment or you know, I saw a couple of comments on being able to use existing programs to comply with the requirements of the written mm -hmm. program. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, I thought that uh, there were a couple, and, and we probably don't have the uh, time here to get into the, the real nitty-gritty detail, but there were right. a couple of comments from companies about the definition of surface mobile equipment and whether specifics in their workplaces would qualify or not. Very important for, the, for those companies to submit those because you want to get that explanation from MSHA. So I thought that was a really good thing. Another thing that stood out for me is, you know, when the agency uh, says you have to include maintenance programs in your plan, and there's a reference not in the proposed rule, but in the preamble to the proposed rule about incorporating manufacturer's recommendations. We really don't want to see manufacturer's recommendations gaining the force of law. And so that if that were to find its way into the final rule, mm. you know, let's be honest, the manufacturer's recommendations are, are written for the benefit of the manufacturer. They're not necessarily written for the benefit of the safety of the miner 
or mine operators. So, uh, you know, and frankly, they're probably written by lawyers half the time for liability. <laughs> right. That that just does not need to find its way into a legal requirement. And no. that was raised as well. I, I echo your concerns on the contractor portion. MSHA absolutely has to address that in the final rule right. or in the preamble to it. Because I, I had clients uh, and trade association members who who asked me, well, what does this mean for, for contractors? Are they supposed to be is are their mobile equipment supposed to be covered by the production operators uh, plan or 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 they do they have to have their own? And the rule is just not clear. I, I don't know why they weren't clear. We could speculate. That's probably not useful, but it's it has to be addressed. And frankly, if the contractor's mobile equipment is if is to be subsumed into a production operator's powered haulage equipment plant, that's that's not tenable. That's just not going to work because yeah. the production operator doesn't have control over the contractor's equipment when they buy and sell or lease equipment, if they bring different equipment on and so forth. That has to be clarified and addressed yeah. if the agency is going to have a workable rule. That's that's my soapbox on the contract. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Here's an interesting question for you, though, right? So we're talking about, you know, MSHA hopefully clarifying a lot of these, um, you know, elements of this proposed rule in the preamble, addressing them, may, perhaps making changes to the final rule, right? I guess, you know, at what point is the final rule just published and then MSHA issues, you know, hopefully down the road, right, some compliance assistance um, you know, guidance or policy documents, right? I don't know. You know, I think it's probably more effective if MSHA, right, addresses those changes in the rule itself. But what effect would, you know, sort of policy guidance have on how MSHA would go about enforcing this particular rule? Well, it would be good um, if any guidance they would give is good, but certainly if it's in the rule itself, that's the best because then it carries the force of law. Then, right. then both the operators and the agency have to comply with the law. If it's in the preamble, it doesn't carry the force of law, but it's pretty closely linked to the rule. So I think you could rely on it. The further you get from the rule in terms of guidance, the, you know, it, it can be helpful, but you know, it, the agency could certainly claim it's not it's not legally binding and so forth. But somewhere along the line, and I know at least one comment specifically advocated for the include for MSHA to come out with a full blown compliance assistance program when this rule comes into effect. Any anything along those lines would be welcome because there are some inconsistencies and some um, ambiguities in at least what was proposed. And, you know, people just want to comply. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody's going to doubt that mobile equipment safety is important, but but people want to comply. They don't want to get caught into a legal fight. They don't want to get caught into a disagreement. And, um, you know, they don't want to be wasting their time wondering what the agency intends when they yeah. really want to spend their time keeping their workers safe. Now, Arthur, I think kind of wrapping this discussion up, um, is there anything in the final, well, excuse me, the proposed rule and the comments that we've seen submitted 
anything that strikes you as as a potential grounds for a challenge, right? So I know in the past you've been involved in challenging various rules that MSHA's promulgated. Anything here kind of tickling your fancy in terms of, you know, fertile ground for a challenge? Well, I don't want to say anything that would be used against me later, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, with that said, with that lawyer caveat, you know, I would say that it's probably less likely that there's going to be a challenge to to the the, the rule in total, the way mm-hmm. that there was with the workplace exam rule, which our group did uh, did lead that. Um, but, you know, I, I think it comes down to the individual pieces of whatever's in the final rule yeah. and whether that rational connection between the facts considered and choices made by the agency is there. That would be fodder for a challenge potentially, but we have to see what's in the final rule. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah, we'll see what we end up getting. And that's kind of a good segue, um, you know, for a quick update. Just so folks are aware, earlier this week, probably Monday or Tuesday um, of this week, we saw a notice of a nominee being put forward for a new assistant secretary for MSHA, um, a fellow named Christopher Williamson. I am not familiar with uh, him at all, and I can't really speak to <laughs> any, uh, you know, the success or not, right, of his um being nominated arthur do you have any thoughts on the new assistant secretary yeah i I don't i don't know him either um you know i i understand he's been uh in the government for for his career um you know i guess what what's more important to me and this may sound obvious but i think it just bears saying more important than the actual nominee is what's the agenda And, you know, for our last two assistant secretaries, Mr. Maine, Mr. Zataslo, obviously very different agendas. Um, They came from very different backgrounds. But I think the thing that was true with both of them is they spoke about what their agenda was. They went to Mm -hmm. meetings, conferences, and so forth, and they gave gave a clear picture of what their agenda was going to be and by and large carried it out. Um, so for better or for worse, depending on your perspective, but, you know, I, that's what I'd be looking for for Mr. Williamson. Obviously he's got a big job, wish him all the best. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we're adverse to MSHA a lot of the time, but a lot of our job is also working with the agency to help our clients navigate that. So I, I welcome the opportunity to work with MSHA in any way we can. I really mean that. So I wish him all the best, assuming he's confirmed, which We'll right. operate under that. Yeah, well. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, who knows with the nomination process. Yeah, one thing that I was wondering, you know, because you were talking about the timing of this potential final rule, six to nine months, you know, assuming that nomination process proceeds at its typical snail's pace, right? We could see him <laughs> confirmed right around the time that a final rule um, would be published. And so I'm almost wondering if he would be able to you know, kind of weigh in on what we could see as a final rule. And obviously, as you said, you know, it's too early to tell what sort of agenda he has and what his perspective on mine safety is. But, you know, obviously something that we'll keep an eye on and, and keep everybody updated about. Yeah, it could be a good uh, good barometer for what his um, administration within the agency would bring is how, how this final or how the final rule is rolled out. Mm-hmm. assuming he's confirmed and, and begins at that point. Good point. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, 
you know, feel free to reach out with any questions or, you know, comments on the podcast, what you might like to see in the future. You know, we do have a, an exciting guest lined up, perhaps not yet confirmed, but lined up for December anyway. So stay tuned for that and um, look forward to doing some more of these. Thank you so much, Arthur, for your time. And it's been, it's been very enjoyable. Agreed. Be safe, everyone, and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, as we get into the holidays, uh, be well with, you, with your families and, and colleagues. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.